So my challenge in eight minutes is to do the problem of suffering. This is an impossible task. All we're going to do is skate over the surface. It's a very brief introduction. And obviously this week, it is a big question, a very timely one after the events of the fire in London. Um, either that has caused you to stay here, or because either that, or you just didn't want to move very far. Um, so we'll run through it very quickly. And this big question. Firstly, there are no easy answers. There are no easy answers to this question, and there shouldn't be. Be very, very wary of anybody who gives you a trite formula or short, easy answer to this, the most profound question of being a human being. Secondly, there are different types of suffering. Global suffering, national suffering, personal suffering. Some suffering in the world is caused by human failure and greed. The jury is still out on the fire this week and whether that contributed uh, to the way in which the fire uh, caught hold and spread so quickly. There are things like poverty, famine, climate change, where we have to take a step back and say human beings have caused a lot of this to each other. Mahatma Gandhi said there's enough for everyone's need but not for everyone's greed. So when people are talking about suffering, then it's, it's good to ask questions. Well, what sort of suffering do you have in mind? What, you know, try and get a bit more specific. Is it about you know, why there are disasters in the world? Why there are um, things like the fire happen? Uh, what about uh, a road traffic accident? Is it something personal to you in your life? Um, try and tease out why they're asking that particular question. People tend, however, to think the following. There's this thesis that's quite popular at the moment. A God who is good and loving would not allow suffering in the world, would not allow pain. A God who is all-powerful would end all pain. If God is good and all-powerful, there would be no suffering. So therefore, because there is suffering in the world, a good and all-powerful God does not exist. You see how it runs? A God who's good and loving wouldn't allow pain. A God who's all-powerful would end all pain. If God is good, loving, and all-powerful, there would be no pain. But there is pain. There is suffering. So that must prove, therefore, that God does not exist. Now, the reality is that this has caused people down the centuries lots of problems. Even someone like Charles Darwin, there's a, there's a whole theory that says that Charles Darwin came up with his theory of evolution, not because he was a sort of red-hot scientist. In fact, he wasn't. He gave up studying medicine because he couldn't hack it at Edinburgh University after about two months. But what actually motivated Charles Darwin was the death of his daughter, Annie, when she was ten. And he was so traumatized by the death of his daughter prematurely when she was 10. And he had so many big questions about God and why it had happened that that led him away to question the world and why is the world like it is. If you look at someone like Richard Dawkins, who over the last 10, 12 years or so has become famous as a sort of an apologist for atheism. Um, he's a very clever guy, Obviously. You don't become a don at a university like he is, being very, very intelligent. But you listen to Dawkins speak, and you read some of what Dawkins says, and there is an anger that is disproportionate to the question. 
And I've, I've thought for many years now, wh what is it that is motivating Richard Dawkins to speak in the way that he does about God? Has something happened in his life that has turned him? Because he's very angry, very angry about God, very angry about religion. He describes God in one of his books as a petty, unjust control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidial, pestilential, megalomaniacal, capriciously malevolent bully. You think, I know, I couldn't. I think he's got some issues with God. Because if you describe God in no sort of language, then why is Richard Dawkins so angry? So how do you answer this very quickly? Firstly, if somebody brings up the question of suffering, then I simply say to them, look, I'm going to share with you the way in which I cope with it. I'm not going to tell you a definitive answer to the question of suffering because this is the most profound question facing human beings. What I'm going to share with you is how Christians cope with suffering and pain in the world. The mystery of suffering is both profound and complex, raw and real, and easy answers don't exist. Secondly, I'd point out that we live in a world of cause and effect. We live in a world where things happen. And that some suffering, as I mentioned at the start, is a result simply of human action, a road traffic accident. I know that if I go home and have four glasses of red wine and then get in my car and drive down the wrong side of the M8, there will be consequences. You can't blame God for the four glasses of red wine that I've drunk and the fact that I'm driving on the wrong side of the M8. There are consequences to my actions. And again, things like climate change, injustice, etc. And there's that amazing picture in Romans chapter 8 that speaks of a God who will bring about restoration of creation. And, and creation itself is pictured as standing on tiptoe, waiting, looking for creation to be restored. Thirdly, I'd very quickly highlight and just ask the question, well, what about other religions? What about other belief systems? What is their answer to the question of suffering? Humanism says suffering proves there is no God. Humanism says that stoical acceptance is the only response. Life is tough. Pardon my language. Shit happens. That is basically the humanist response. And you just have to get on with it. Um, uh, people like um, Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre, people known as existentialists, said that even to ask the question why is futile and pointless. Life just is. Then there's Islam. The word Islam means literally submission. And Islam, basic, all the way running through it, is the submission to the will of Allah. If you suffer, it's the will of Allah. If you die, then Allah has willed you to die at that particular time. About 10 years or so ago, hundreds of pilgrims died in a, in a tunnel on the way back from uh, Mecca. And the crown prince of Saudi Arabia said it was Allah's will that they died at that time. If they hadn't died there, they'd have died somewhere else actually has echoes in the response of some Christians, a sort of fatalistic Calvinism at times that some Christians have. 
Hinduism says that everything is karma being worked out. Um, so if you, you reap what you sow through reincarnation. Buddhism takes it a bit further uh, from Hinduism, where actually um, Buddhism was designed to address, address the very question of suffering. The founder, the Buddha, was exposed to injustice and poverty and suffering for the first time, and in response came up with what are called the Four Noble Truths. All life is suffering. The reason for suffering is desire. The way to end suffering is to end desire. And so you seek this thing called nirvana, literally extinction or blowing out your self-annihilation through what's called the eightfold path of self-reduction. Christian scientists said suffering, basically pain is an illusion. It's just mind over matter. What does the Christian faith say? The Christian faith, I think, is the only one that takes suffering seriously because it actually has God suffering. Unthinkable to a Muslim mind, impossible to a Jewish mind, Christianity claims that God becomes involved in our suffering and suffers himself. And then there's this paradox again and again that suffering can produce the depths of human experience, both good and bad. So you see the reaction to the, the fire in London this week, incredible grief, pain, tragedy, desolation, anger, injustice, but at the same time, this incredible outpouring of love and compassion and service and care, just remarkable ways in which the community has come together. See, and as I've talked to people over the years, they will often say, not all of them, but many people will say that the time that they felt closest to God was often through a time of suffering. There's that famous quote from C.S. Lewis, God whispers in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a dulled world. And there's a quote from Tim Keller, Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become more like him. The gospel does not promise you a better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. And there's that amazing promise in Revelation 21 that speaks about God wiping every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So what we have in the Christian faith is a God who isn't distant or remote. There's no academic treatise or neat theological answer, but we have God himself. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, kneeling at the graveside of a close friend even though he knew that a few seconds later he would raise him from the dead, resuscitate him, he still weeps at Lazarus' graveside. And Jesus himself suffering in our place to enable hope, restoration, and resurrection. 